So don't tell Noah. But I'm kind of becoming more of a Cody guy and less of a Plex guy and Ooh. less of an MB guy. I just have such a crappy internet connection at home that having local media is not only is it way faster to play and makes fast forward and rewind possible, but I right. can do full resolution video, like Blu-ray quality video, and I, it plays. I just and Cody is so great. Like Cody's when you awesome. when you have multiple audio sources in a file or subtitles or anything, and you just want to quickly use the remote to turn it on or switch audio tracks. It's so good at that, and the playback is so flawless with Cody. That's awesome. I just I am such a huge fan of of of, of Cody, and I kind of had moved away for a while because I was using Plex and having central storage, but. That do, that only works when you have a really fast connection, right. and when you live in society. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, Wes. I just wanted to say thank you to Cody and I'm, uh, the Cody folks. I am really looking forward to Cody 17 when it comes out. Have you uh, tried that MB plugin? Not, not that it might not work for you now. No, but, you know, I should. Because I use that. I I've still had have. Great experience now, tell me about that. that. Well, because it just makes Cody's library like basically transparent to the yes. MB back so, okay. store. Yeah. Um, what I haven't tried is using that and having your own local files. That'd be interesting because then you could have your local stuff. And if you got back on the network, right. you could have the full MB. So yeah. I have that set up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with some friends and they stream it over, over the network. So then it doesn't tax my MB server. They just the Cody plays it locally. And you know what all those files are, Wes? All those files are freaking DRM free. That way, yes, you they and are. I we are celebrating International Day against DRM May third, twenty sixteen. Uh, oh yeah, there here comes the weaponized uh, lawnmower. It's coming again, Wes. Do you hear it? I've closed the windows. Battened down the hatches. I've, I've battened down the hatches. I took out the fan. We still have a weaponized lawnmower out there. Uh, so today's the tenth International Day against DRM. And uh, you, you, Wes, need to take a few steps to take actions against DRM. Are what you are ready? They? Are you ready? This is this. Here we go. Take a selfie. My beautiful face. Yeah. Okay. So we need to take a selfie. Okay. So are you, are you taking a selfie, Wes? So this is the this is this is what it says by defectedbydesign.org. Take a selfie and sign the petition. Envision a future victory against DRM. So this is something you could. So while you're taking a selfie, I want you to envision a future without DRM. This is how you can help. <laughs> you look really good there, Wes. Uh, you can add your graphics to your social media profile or your blog. You could submit a DRM horror story to the EFF. You could make a blog post or video or a song, or you could share their DRM-free living guide with your friends. Those are uh, statements that you can take for actions against now, DRM. That this is less stupid than telling everyone to go and DDoS the Apple Store. Okay, all right, okay. That to be was fair. years past. <laughs> yeah. This is a this is a, a positive campaign. Okay. Raising awareness. You know, I I could get behind this. I'm I'm not sure what my, my anti DRM face is gonna be that I'm gonna pull when I when I do my selfie, uh-huh. but I'll I'll have a good go. I have a recommendation. Shave your mustache. Definitely. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's all you need. <laughs> oh, it's a little breezy in here on it the list. It's breezy, a little breezy. Yeah. I just don't know about this defective by design. It just seems like it's been a bit of a snoozer uh, uh, from day one. It's never, it's never for ten years now. It's right. failed to really get my interest. Um, I do support it in principle. Yeah, maybe I will post. Something. So hang on, let me let me get this straight. You want me to shave my mustache so that I look like an Amish person? Right. Is that what you want? Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes, yeah. ideally. I'm watching. The okay, that sounds like right a great now. idea. You're watching. <laughs> Wimpy's watching the playback I, right now. I, this is Linux Unplugged, episode 143 for May 3rd, 2016. 
Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that already has your gift picked out for Mother's Day. Yes, it's almost Mother's Day. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. <laughs> Here's your official reminder before the weekend, everybody. Hello, Wes. Guess what? We've secretly made a big show for 143. Coming up on this week's episode of the Unplugged program, we have some fascinating open source updates from funding to projects that are missing deadlines and targets. Oh, I, oh I'm not saying anything. Shh. I'm not saying anything, as well as some great updates. Uh, Another look at VR under Linux. We're going to discuss Subsonic going to closed source after years of open source. Yes, yes. And then, don't tune out. We're actually not done talking about Ubuntu 16.04. No way. Uh, But don't worry, we wouldn't be doing it uh, for a third week in a row unless we actually thought there was something genuinely worth your time to talk about. So you'll just have to trust us. Coming up in a little bit. Yes, and and yes, it's true. Uh, I am... uh, Mustache free this week. You can. That's me brushing where the mustache was. It's unpleasant, was. but uh, he's still handsome. <laughs> We're going to power through it. And to help us, Mr. Wes brought us some extremely unique and delicious beers from Diamond Knot Brewery, a place special in my heart. I did not know this. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I'm drinking the Binnacle Ale, the Summer Ale, I think is how you say it. And you'll so. be drinking the brown ale. The brown ale. Now, why is uh, Diamond not near and dear to my heart? Now, we're going to get into all the Linuxy stuff first. But before we do that, I want to go back in time, if we can, just really quickly. A different time in Chris's life. You know what's crazy about this? It was May 7th that, I, that we released this. So it was probably about May wow. 3rd in 2010 that I shot this video. So think about this, Wes. You, you brought me a beer uh, almost like on the uh, six-year anniversary since I shot this video. this That is kind of remarkable. Here we are at the Diamond Knot Brewery, the very place we are drinking these beers from. For Beer is Tasty, which uh, you may recall from days past. Uh, which uh, oh, Hold on, sorry. Hold on. So where we're at right now is the very highest point. We can look down at all the people of what we're getting into today. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, if you're watching the video version, a little tourery of their brewery, which is nice. One of their breweries. They brew in many locations now. And uh, the beard on this guy oh, we're about to talk to. what's that in your hand? Oh, that is a delicious brewski. All right, so here we are. We are still here at Diamond Knot, and we've got Pat. Now, Pat's the guy you want to talk to at Diamond Knot. Hey, Pat. Because he knows all about the different he beers. He is, here. I kid you not, the brewmaster. What I want brew, that title. What does the brewmaster do at Diamond Knot? Makes all bow to me. No. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Nice, okay, so, dude. So tell us. A we're actually bit. we're in it. We're kind of in a maybe for you a kind of an older location, right? These are still in production, but this. I uh, I spent my first five years in in this, in this tiny room. space right. alone. This was uh, a fun so episode. As brewmaster, I'm responsible basically for all beer operations here at Diamond Knot. So we do a uh, series of interviews with these guys, find out about the brews they make, and if you guys are curious, I will put a link to this uh, old shenanigans in the show notes. It, it is actually pretty cool to go behind the scenes and see all the different uh, stuff they do. Yeah, it really is. Old episode of Beer is Tasty, and uh, we do an interview with the brewmaster from the very place that we're drinking beer from today. So that's pretty cool there, Wes. How so neat for, is that? Thanks for bringing in the, uh, the good old uh, Diamond Knot Brewery. That's, uh, that's a fun one. All right, so let's not go any further without bringing our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. With hey. time appropriate greetings. Hello. <laughs> time appropriate greetings. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, yes, whiskey. Uh, so coming up, you guys, we have much to talk to, but I wanted to, before we get into the super, super heavy stuff, I did want to maybe discuss really quickly 
uh, DuckDuckGo. I'm I'm personally a fan of DuckDuckGo. I like kind of what well. they're about. Uh, they uh, they've worked with uh, JB in the past, and so I want to just mention that. Uh, they're still out there. They're still out there contributing to open source software, and uh, they've made some pretty big uh, contributions recently, including uh, some serious cash to some of our favorite uh, open source projects and some important ones like SecureDrop. My name is Gabriel Weinberg, and I'm the founder of DuckDuckGo. You know, six years ago, when DuckDuckGo was just me and the servers were still in my basement, I started donating to free and open source projects that I depended on every day. A lot of these projects were like DuckDuckGo, and that they were labors of love by just a few people working in their spare time. I wanted them to know how important their projects were to me and to lend a little financial support where I could. So we've got $25,000 to the Freedom of Press Foundation for SecureDrop, which is a, uh, a secure way for people to communicate like leaks and stuff right. like that. Uh, $25,000 to the Freenet Project. $25,000 to the OpenBSD hey, Foundation. Neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cryptech project is $25,000. The Tor project is $25,000. Fight for the Future gets $25,000. Open Source Technology Innovation Fund for Veracrypt gets twenty five. dollars Yeah, I thought so. A couple other ones. GPT, GPG Tools for GPG Mail, $25,000. A couple other ones in here. Pretty neat, Wes. That's a lot of money. Good old DuckDuckGo. Just a reminder, if you haven't used them recently for your search. Go, you go send it through a few searches their way. I imagine Popey's probably exhausted. Uh, however, I don't see him in the screenshot here, so maybe uh, maybe not. Uh, I imagined he was sitting in and watching uh, both bated breath. But uh, Michael Liable over at Pharonix is bringing us the latest from the Ubuntu Online Summit for Ubuntu 16.10. 16.10, Wes. So, Ooh, yeah. the future. Get off your 16.04 high horse. <sighs> Fine. Well, it's another setback for Unity 8 and Mirror, Michael writes. Uh, it's been confirmed that the Unity 8 desktop and the Mirror display server will not be the default for the desktop spin in Ubuntu 16.10. Yakety yak. That's a fun name. Unity 8 and Mirror will be available as opt-in features for users wanting to upgrade their desktop. Hmm. But Unity 7 and Xorg will be the default for 16.10. So, mm. disappointed, Wes? I mean, I still want to try it. I'm curious to see when it lands. Maybe it makes sense to be in the next, you know, big update, but I don't I'm not that surprised. Poby, was it ever I mean maybe was it ever really planned that right, like I don't sixteen ten really... would be where uh, Mir would land by default? Was that ever really a, a thing? Um it's a setback. So. It's a setback, Poby. It's think... a setback. Is it? Or yeah. is it just a really good idea to not dump stuff on people when it's not ready yet. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, which yeah. we learn from you know past experience. See also Pulse Audio and Unity Seven. Yeah, you know, yeah. we've yeah. we've learned this. You know, what would be a setback is it being a bomb and people hating it. That'd right. be a bit of a setback. Uh, yeah. Uh, however, I do appreciate uh, Larbol tuning in and following this stuff at the same time. So I don't want to give him too much crap because I am actually glad he's reporting on it. Uh, there's not a lot of original reporting in the Linux community, so it's actually nice to see some getting done. Uh, and I don't know, a setback? Um, <clears throat> well, you can read it both ways. You know, Either people want stuff to land, like, come on, you need to have this stuff ready. I want to see it now. And then when we land it, like, now, they're upset because it's crap or it's not finished yeah, or yeah. there's something wrong with it. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll wait until it's ready. Oh, no. That's a setback. You should have landed it now when I asked you to. I think so. Move your entitlement and shove it somewhere else. <laughs> I think where I where I kind of connect with it is 
that, uh, well, once we finally switch over to X, that's going to be solved. Once we finally get to Y, that won't be a problem anymore. And where I felt like that came up a lot was with was Michael Dominic's recent tryout Linux um, series that he's really done for like the last five weeks of Coda Radio, where he was trying out, you know, I'm going to create an app and do this. I'm going to move over to Linux. And there's a lot of questions that's like, yeah, yeah, I know that's a little weird right now, but when Unity 8 ships and there's like an officially blessed like sort of UI look right. that things are supposed to have and there's like a, a clear path for distributing software and there's these snap packages to make it easy for you to be in control of updates for your user base, like you're going to love it. And so there's like all this pent up anticipation for a payoff that we've all been waiting for now since Mir was announced. And so it's a setback in that, oh, we have to wait longer that's how it's the setback. Yeah, you don't get your new toys right away. They're going to be available for testing, right. but they won't be available for general availability. And that's if, – if there's a setback, that's what it is. And I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, there was also at the uh, UDS – I don't know. I didn't actually get a chance to watch it before the show, but uh, Michael says that there was more talk about convergence apps, uh, Ubuntu Discourse closing unless Microsoft steps in, and uh, handling legacy apps with Mir and Snappy. And in regards to uh, Ubuntu Touch, it looks like there's consideration of skipping CyanogenMod 5 and going right – to CyanogenMod Mod Seven, it's not necessarily there's anything in Android Six everybody's excited about. It's more that there's things in Kernel Four Point Four that everyone's oh, excited about. Interesting. And I don't know, Poby, if you have any information on this, this is the thing I'm the most interested in. Is I don't really understand the relationship between Canonical and UNav, but it sounds like UNav is going to be the way you get navigation under Ubuntu Touch, and there's more. It already is. Right. Uh, it already is a default app on the phone. Uh, it's a community maintained app, and. Uh, we had a session where we discussed the future plans and Nicholas and Marcos showed off some of the, the, the stuff they've got in development for well, you, the next release. Yeah, you sure did. There's your mug right there when I go to the, uh, UNAV yeah, plan. sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, you look at that stash. You got way too much facial hair on your face. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, so well, anything of interest to know? Is there new developments coming with UNAV or just yeah, better integration? I, what? I don't come here for my Linux use. I come here for advice on my facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I know that. And your smell. You're doing good on that front. So, I don't, What can you tell us about the UNAV stuff? Because as somebody who seriously would be considering Ubuntu Touch, uh, good navigation is a pretty essential feature yeah, for me. Especially if somebody who so likes the, to drive around. So the stuff we were talking about for the next release was more to do with um, making making the app work well on tablets and using the space well on a tablet. Oh, awesome. So rather than rather than just having one giant map and then when you click on something it takes over the whole screen, having a split screen user interface where you have like a tab down the right hand side with you know list of restaurants and then marks plotted on the left hand side showing the map, kind of split screen like you've seen on some of yeah, our right. other applications, that Slick. kind of thing. But it's it's early days, but I'd it like to try it's that. quite nice. Yeah, I love doing nav on tablet when I can. Mm-hmm. It's so much nicer than on the phone. Um, all right. Well, before we get totally off of uh, Ubuntu Mobile a Touch and before we get into uh, Mr. Skooky Sprite's HD Vive experience under Linux, something caught my attention. I don't know what this all means, but uh, the title is Plasma Mobile, a new base system. At the last Academy, the Plasma team revealed their first prototype of a new Plasma Mobile. Now I know what you've all been thinking. Finally. Another rebuilt mobile platform based on Linux that nobody will use. Finally. Well, Plasma Mobile is designed to work with any existing operating stack. So they're hoping, since it works with any OS stack out there, you'll pick it up pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And so far, they've based it on reference images that were based on Ubuntu Touch. (laughs) Using an Android system inside an LXE container to make use of Android hardware abstraction layer. 
Their initial touch base was Ubuntu 15.04. Eventually, their images started to diverge from Ubuntu Touch. For example, they upgraded the LibHybris to an upstream version because LibHybris or whatever it is uh, is too much uh, too old for their context. They also got to a newer Qt version. They upgraded Ubuntu 16.04 for the base, and they've integrated some Neon packages. To simplify mm-hmm. things further, they wanted to experiment to see if they could get their own operating system stack that can run on mobile devices. After they looked at their requirements, they have a base system of Cyanogen with ASOP-based Android, or AOSP, and the Ubuntu Neon system inside a Chirrut or container. So this is the new Plasma mobile stack based on top of the hard work of Ubuntu Touch. Hey, hey. Uh, Two things surprised me about this story. Number one, that they're sort of starting over again with their Plasma mobile base. Number two is uh, they're sort of unceremoniously using Ubuntu Touch. And I find that ironic because I just remember some of the biggest pushback came from the Plasma group about Canonical going off and doing their own thing. And here they are now using it as a base. Are you seeing the irony there, Wes? I do see some irony there. And they're like, but but we've totally diverged. We're no longer using Ubuntu base, well, except for 16.04 and Neon packages. But other than that, we're no longer <laughs> using Ubuntu as a base. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too uh, too hard. But that was just sort of the waff I got off this. Anybody in the mum room have thoughts on this story? Another mobile platform, guys. Yeah, I'd be curious to talk to someone who likes it, has tried it. Yeah. But now yeah, it's can new you hear again. the plane crash? Yeah. I just, uh, I mean, I, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan of, you know, people creating things. And it would that be interesting passion, if it but... was like, you know, on multiple types of devices, and you could just be like, hey, I got a new device, and the KDE yeah. mobile stuff works. A plasma mobile works great. What device is it limited to? Because that's the problem I have with so many mobile stuff coming up. It doesn't support like a simple tablet that I have, so I can't try it. Well, you know, being based on CyanogenMod and AOSP, hopefully that will help. Yeah. And they're using LXC for the and you know uh, for Android. This is LXC is very interesting. Funny that we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about that later today. Uh, okay, so apparently not a lot, uh, lot not a lot of comments, but uh, they have proof of concept working on a Nexus device. So if you are curious about it, they do have it up and running uh, using Ubuntu sixteen oh four, Ubuntu Touch Base, and uh, some of the Neon packages. They hmm. talk about moving quick, right? Talk about moving yeah, super right? quick. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a chance to talk about the HTC Vive. You know, that's the uh, VR solution that has Valve's cooperation. The creators of SteamOS, you may remember them. Uh, do you remember Valve? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. They make that Debian-based app. Yes, right. And so we all thought that if they were going to release a VR solution... Theirs would have the best likelihood of supporting Linux. Naturally. I mean, it's from Valve. Because you want to use it with your Steam Their machine. very own platform is SteamOS. Yeah. So none of us were willing to put our money where our mouth was and actually try it. We're cheapskates. Yeah, we're just not crazy enough. But Mr. Skooky Sprite we did just that. Time. He went out there, put his money where his mouth was, and got himself an HTC Vive, set it all up, connected it to his Linux box, and here's to report how it went. But first... Before we get off mobile, let's talk about Ting, sponsor of the Linux Unplugged program. Linux.ting.com. Go there right now, won't you? Linux.ting.com. I, I tell you what I did, and I think this might be a great way for you to go. Get yourself a Nexus device from Google Play. Just do it. Don't play. Go get it from Play. Don't you know think what I'm about saying? it. Hey, Just oh. order it. You're Here's done. why. Uh, if you're, if you're going to get yourself a, uh, a mobile device, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm getting messages right now that are pretty funny. I love this Nexus 5 because it, I, I have been able to experiment with it the heck out of this thing. And Ting is just like, oh, you want a mobile service provider? Yeah, you just pop the SIM card in. It's mobile on demand. It's no contract, no determination fee. You only pay for what you use. So I'm sitting here on Wi-Fi right now. I got Noah to set up a 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi network while he was here with his fancy ubiquity routers that he likes so much. Oh, right. I won't touch them. They're freedom-hating. But he loves them. So he set up a 5 gigahertz network and put the Nexus 5 on that, the 5X. I rolled back to Android M. Ting was Honey Badger about the entire process. They were totally cool. They have, they have such a great service. And they have CDMA and GSM. So if you have a device that does both, you can pick and choose. Or if you have one that's compatible with the network, you can bring it over to Ting and get a $25 service credit. I got three devices on my line. I'm paying like this. This is including Linux Fest. Including the Linux Whoa. Fest stuff. 40 bucks. That is impressive. Yeah, it's really great. Super nice dashboard. They have all kinds of devices from the Kyocera Dura, which starts at like $47. How do you even say that again, Chris? Kyocera Dura. Kyocera Dura. XT. Also, the LG 450 starts at 58 bucks. These are just really nice feature phones that have like a battery that lasts a week. You know, you just want a phone that lasts a week. Then they've got things like the LG Volt 2, 66 bucks. Motorola E, 74 bucks. Apple Internet Phone 4, 87 bucks. No contract, no early termination fee. You only pay for what you use. Unlocked, you own these devices. LG K7, just added to the Ting Store, 143. Antel One Touch Idle, 378 bucks. Under $200 for a nice Android device. They go all the way up to the uh, like the Samsung uh, latest, the Motorola X. The Moto X, that's a nice phone. That is a nice phone. Internet Phone 5S, still a pretty good phone. Uh, Samsung's, the latest Samsung. Oh, what's that one right there? Ooh. That's 6P. Ooh. Look at that, 6P. Yeah, totally, I know, right? They also just added the uh, Galaxy S7. They've got all the great devices with no contract, no early termination fee, fanatically good customer support, unlimited devices on one account, no mysterious line items, no add-on charges, no contracts, no early termination fee. You just pay for what you use. You get started by going to linux.ting.com. Also, check out their blog. They always have like great app picks and stuff. And they're doing a giveaway of the Galaxy Note 5. Yeah. Linux.ting.com. Thank you, Ting, for sponsoring the Unplugged program. All right, Mr. Sprite, Mr. Skooky, Mr. Ryder, tell me about your experiences with HTC Vive. Do you mind telling us how much you spent uh, just like just sort of starting from there, like how much you spent, how long the setup took, all of that. Um, you know, Chris, I'm not sure you can see the incandescent rage that is fueling <laughs> me at this moment. <laughs> but uh, those I've had interactions with in real life have been like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm like, "It's a Vive." Okay, yeah. So uh, my Vive arrived yesterday. It took about two and a half hours to set up. Now, hold on there. Hold on there. Two and a half hours. Wow. And it's not like Scooky Sprite is some slouch here. It's right. not like. No. So what, what, who, what takes two and a half hours to set up about it? Okay, well, one of the great strengths, I think, about the Vive as a device is that it gives, quote unquote, full room, you know, virtual reality. So that means that you have to set up two base stations that are ideally positioned higher than you standing that have un, uh, unimpeded line of sight between each other. And that means like either you're drilling stuff into walls or you're jury rigging as I did, jury rigging a bunch of tripods and stuff. Right. That's right. how I would think you'd have to do is put them up on a bunch of tripods. Yeah, pretty much. And so that 
is the cool thing is those don't have to actually be wired to the computer, but they do each have their own uh, separate uh, uh, power adapters. So it 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 was it was a challenge. And is this uh, is this Windows only software to configure them? Like, where do you start running the right. limitations here? Oh, okay. So yesterday, <laughs> I mean, I was so pumped, especially like I was like, okay, this is great. Like, I'll be able to you know have a whole week with this before I talk about it in the podcast. You know, blah 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 blah. blah. And I clear I cleared my entire afternoon, and so I started setting it up, and I'm just so pumped. I'm like, finally, because I mean, I had an Oculus SDK too, um, but long before they dropped support oh, nice. for it, and blah blah blah. Um, so I was super super pumped about this, and I'm setting it up, and it's taking longer and longer, and I get it all set up, and the cables are just enormous, and it's a big big nightmare, and that's when I realize. Oh wait, I haven't checked to see if this actually supports Linux because I'm having some problems, you know, getting the 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 display to work correctly. And I'm like, oh well, let's just go to the support site, and there's nothing for Linux. So then I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go to Steam VR, you know, because Steam VR. I mean, that's that's Valve, that's Steam, that's Steam OS. It's gotta that's work. Linux. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Windows only too now. Um. So, <laughs> can you believe that? So, not only do you have to have a uh, at least a decent modern graphics, yep, you have to have a nice CPU. But so what? I mean, you you realistically, you got to have a, a minimum a thousand dollar PC to run this thing, right? Well, yeah, okay. Uh, so you want uh, my my uh, pre order or whatever, which I placed on like. <laughs> the eighth of the month or like two months ago yeah um so it took forever to get here um i think uh it was like 950 bucks all told <sighs> not but, in, not no, including the computer no of course not oh <laughs> right My, wow dude, are you ki- are you kidding i got Woo! i got like 28 terabytes in this in yeah this here that i built yeah it's, it's, anyway. yeah but uh mm, but yeah this is required- this is a winner this is a real winner well, no, here's the thing. Okay, so the Oculus doesn't include any control surfaces. Um, this control, th- this, the, the, um, Vive has these two really interesting, innovative little paddle sticks that you hold, and they're actually really cool. Um, it was very depressing when I had to pack it all up, uh, and, you know, file for a return yesterday after just deploying it. But, Linux support. Here's the here's the bottom line. They say that Linux support is coming now. Meanwhile, they had promised Linux support from day one, and they were very open about that in both their marketing and in their media campaign. Um, and then they just rolled back on it on evidently the 22nd of last month after they had shipped my unit. Um, and I I was the last person to hear about it. So that's a bummer. It, and do you feel like I mean a Linux setup, a Linux support aside, a two-hour setup with this is an investment with these things that you have to put up on tripods or mount to your wall. Uh, Chris, are you kidding me? You you know as well as I do that virtual reality is absolutely unbelievable. It's going to be the next transformative technology for the next three years. It's going to be a multi-billion-dollar marketplace. You know, blah 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 blah. You're telling me? I don't know. I thought so, but then Wimpy started to convince me that virtual reality is a hoax, and now you give me this story about a two-hour setup. They don't even support For- their own platform. I mean, Forget wh- the two-hour setup. That's the big thing. And, like, the biggest thing that really depressed me about this, and I, I you know, because I, I, 
I, I had to do I, I need I need some official quotes from HTC and Valve and so I was you know calling the PR people um, this morning uh, the most depressing thing to me is that it shows first of all even forgetting Linux it just shows like a uh, total I would not be confident in investing in this platform even if I didn't run Linux now because like oh well you can't even like you said develop for your own freaking platform you know wow that's amazing well, well, so, I, I wimpy you must be listening to this do you do you hear this and think to yourself, this is exactly what you're saying. This is never going to be a consumer platform. Well, kind of. I mean, it's very early days at the moment, but certainly the the barrier to entry in terms of the technology you need once you've got your um, bridle um, is is expensive. <laughs> bridle. <laughs> Wimpy, have you ever actually sat down with uh, any sort of virtual reality headset? I have. Okay, cool. So, all right, fine then. That's all I need to know. Then I will respect respectfully disagree with you. I've 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 used three different generations of um, virtual reality headsets and other equipment, and the graphics get better, and nothing else about it is any more convincing or compelling than the very first iterations I saw in the eighties. I you see, I totally disagree because I was there in the nineties. And because I live in Vegas and we had uh, we had the best arcades back then and we had some pretty <laughs> compelling virtual reality stuff. And uh, and so I, I, I wrote it all off until the Oculus Rift, which blew my mind, like off of the awesome was just incredible. I thought. Hmm. Now, I, I, I think that eventually it will it will work for some games, but I think we're going to get a lot of rubbish games with rubbish implementations of vr and i've used 3d tv as an example of why <laughs> vr isn't going to work and it's more to do with the fact that you have to have something on your head um, and this is worse than 3d tv because you have to have something on your head with a multitude of cables coming out of it yeah so, that, 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 that is problematic yeah it's a big deal that because it's not really virtual reality you're just tethered to a computer somewhere it's just ridiculous well but that's one of the lot of of issues that people general consumers just won't get over they won't get over the cost they won't get over the inconvenience and they won't get over the average implementation of games and more importantly um i think that the games are going to try and play to the vr capabilities in the same way you get 3d yeah movies for 3d yeah yeah totally but like by the same token like every new uh medium every new uh especially in terms of the history of video games um has come with these same the same set of challenges and generally speaking the new the new and better looking and more immersive technology has always won out at least you know over the last 30 years in my opinion and i do agree it's a big pain in the ass but one of the cool things about the vive that i really liked and was really hopeful about um is this full scale room scale virtual reality like if you, if you've seen the video of uh the chick using a uh, Google's tilt brush to paint in 3D when you actually end up using that application with the Vive it's really impressive except for the fact that it, it was on Windows so I packed <laughs> it up and mm-hmm. and it's being returned uh, and, wow. and the reason for the reason for that is we all know how long that to-do list is when Linux support is on that to-do list that to-do list never gets done those features never get implemented 5 years later if you're lucky they'll add yeah. Linux support and I I for one I mean like I was comfortable taking paying my money taking my chances 
with uh, the Oculus SDK 2 because I wanted to develop for it specifically. Um, and I was like, okay, fine, Linux support is spotty, whatever. And then eventually, six months later, they had the balls to come out and say, you know what, we're dropping this. We just want to do Windows mm. stuff, which was okay. I mean, I paid my money. I totally, I totally, yeah, wow, but that's these guys. Thought. These guys sold me this unit, not just like is rumored marketing, but they one of the key selling points was this is being developed in, you know, not just developed, but this is totally the the partnership of Steam and Valve and HTC for Linux. Day one Linux support. They dropped that. I mean, what? Am I going to wait two weeks until I can't return it and then find out six months later that they're not going to have Linux, you know, at all? I mean, because I, I don't have time to play anything on Windows. I, I have to. Yeah, I agree. I play, right? I play 15 games a week for my podcast. So it's like, wow, you know, like I have no time for anything other than games that run on Linux. And the other thing that's depressing about it, though, is that I think this was a big moment for Linux uh, from a hardware perspective to hit a general consumer. Um, market that actually has money video games are money that's why steam is such a big deal right. you know blah it leverages the market share makes FOSS uh and and supporting free and open source uh products and hardware um more important for uh you know graphics card manufacturers and so stuff like that when i and this is a big failure when i see this too i see it as a sort of a, a huge disappointment but one that i here's here's where i'm going to get my temperature from skooky and this is what i want to ask you how much of the like configuring or um, aligning or calibrating or whatever you want to call it, how much of the setup of the devices requires like a Windows application? How much oh, is oh, – oh, Basically all of it. You can't um, – So they're going to have to recreate all of that. They would theoretically have to redo all of that as Linux software to set this up. Well, but, well hang on a second. The thing is – and they've been saying this for two years almost that they're – they were going to hit the street. It's not that they canceled Linux support. It's just that now it's on the to-do list. And they decide to do that, you know, two weeks ago, you know, after they've been shipping units to people. So it's, it's theoretically, it's still coming, but, uh, no, and I've, it's, it's almost impossible to, you need either HTC to, and I think it's legally complex for them. I haven't gotten an official quote from them just yet, but uh, I should at four o'clock this afternoon. Anyway, mm. it's legally complicated for them, for them because of the, their partnership with Steam and Valve. It's legally complicated for them to release their own Linux drivers because they're like kind of tied at the hip, is my understanding. Makes me so sad. if if Steam VR can't run Linux, then. You know, HTC Vive can't run Linux, which doesn't make any sense to me because TVR is supposed to be built inside of Steam OS, and that's supposed to be. <laughs> I hate it when Wimpy's right, but right now Wimpy's right. Uh, uh, so yeah, okay, all right. So uh, your closing thoughts, Mister Wimpy. I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Uh oh, hold on, guys. The weaponized lawnmower is it's on its bad. way back. Well, uh, Skooky, thank you for giving it a shot and letting us know how it went. If people want to find your podcast where you talk about Linux gaming, where would they find it? Uh, bestlinuxgames.com. hey And if you want to stick around uh, towards the end, I wouldn't mind at the end of the show, maybe we could talk a little Tomb Raider. Ooh. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's awesome. New Tomb Raider came out uh, for Linux, and I want to give you my thoughts on it. Uh, before we jump into more stuff... I did want to mention briefly that OpenWRT got forked by some of its own developers. 
uh, which is always actually, I think, kind of a good thing in a way. It means drama, but it also means the people with the new project. There's a passion there. Exactly. Uh, and they've, they're calling it LEDE. <laughs> it appears to be a move by new project leaders. It's a group of OpenWRT developers announced LEDE. Their fork of the project it consists of a spinoff of OpenWRT with many of the same goals. Uh, it's, uh, by the way, LEDE, short for Linux Embedded Development Environment. Brilliant, really. It'll continue to focus on being a great embedded Linux distribution with a predictable release cycle and transparent decision making. Hmm. I think that could go a long way. That's you know really one of the big limitations in the community. That community right now, I think, is there's a lot of you know especially on the DDWRT side, there's a lot of things that are up in the air, yeah. or a lot of you get your information from a yeah. forum post. And they say, look, we were we just looked at doing this because the, the core developer count was super low, unreliable infrastructure, and there was a lack of communication. No hard feelings. It's, I mean, it sounds like maybe some, but I mean, it doesn't sound like it's like a big dramatic thing. So LEDE recently announced. You can find out more. We'll have a link in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. Now, uh, a question came in that struck me uh, yesterday uh, that I thought, well, let's just briefly touch on it in the show. Yeah. <laughs> X-Metal points out we have LEDE, LXDE, LXLE, and LXQT. And don't forget, we are we're later today, we're going to talk about LXCE or LXE, right, LXE, and, yeah. and LXD. <laughs> oh Weaponized Lawnmower is back. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Weaponized Lawnmower. Uh, okay, so uh, Tetra wrote into the show and wanted to know about our power management solutions. And the reason why this struck me, Wes, it struck me deep. The reason why it struck me deep and hard was because uh, it turned out to be the first bit of feedback I read right after my battery died. My battery died. I got, oh, boy. I, got, I, got, I couldn't work for like two hours. I got plugged back in, and I go to read this, and that's the question is, what's your power management strategy? And I thought, well, how freaking uh, – uh, what is it? What is it called? Uh, Serendipitous? What's it called? Yeah, there you go. Serendipitous? Okay. How freaking serendipitous is it that uh, my battery dies and I open up my laptop, I go to get working again, and this is what I see? Clearly, you need a better solution. Yes, sir. There you go right there, Wes. So we're going to talk about that here on the show in just a moment. I want to find out what our virtual lug does, maybe what the chat room does. But first, I'm going to tell you what I do, and that is DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and use our special promo code, D-O-Unplugged. I love that promo code. All one word, Louis. It's lowercase. Just put it together. D-O-Unplugged gives you a $10 credit. Now, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering you the most intuitive way for you to get a super badass rig in the cloud in no time. Less than 55 seconds, you'll have a machine spun up. And if you only want to spend $5 a month, DigitalOcean's got you covered with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Now, we've been using DigitalOcean droplets as our go-to Linux infrastructure on demand. We need a, we need a system. We just go to DigitalOcean. Spin now. it up. When it when it came time to increase our infrastructure for Linux Fest Northwest to make it possible to do what we needed to do, DigitalOcean. It was a no brainer. And uh, I'll be honest with you. One of the things I've done to make my management a little easier is I've added Noah's SSH key to my DigitalOcean profile. So now when I want to collaborate on a droplet with Noah, I can just add his key as a checkbox to any droplet I'm creating. Add my key and I can add Rekai's key. Boom, boom, boom. Now we all have SSH login to the new droplet I've created. That's There's beautiful. so many nice things about the DigitalOcean UI. You should totally check it out. They also have a great API if you want to take advantage of some OSS code built around that API or you want to write some yourself. They have a really nice interface. But on top of that, they got locations. New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, all up in that business. That's Go get everywhere. yourself a super fast, super fast droplet. 
And they start at $5 a month. And they got Ubuntu, they got Debian, they have Fedora, they have CentOS, CoreOS. And then you look at those hourly bizzle. pricing. Oh, man. That is really slick. You can get a nice rig for like a couple hours. Yeah, and, and you, just, very you want to do something for a little while, no big deal. You know, uh, if you have a horribly slow connection like I do at home, sometimes I'll spin up a DigitalOcean droplet to download my distro of choice over Torrent, and then I'll just suck it down over WGit later on. Last night it was like 80 degrees in Seattle. Yeah, I didn't want my fan my fan to kick on, but I wanted to compile a kernel. Boom, DigitalOcean will do it for it's, you. Seriously, it's nice. Also, they have one-click deployments of software just ready to go, and they have fan Fantastic, fantastic documentation. Uh, probably one that we've almost taken for granted. How to install the LAMP stack, Apache MySQL, PHP on Ubuntu 16.04. How to install Nginx, MySQL, and PHP, the LIMP stack, stack LIMP stack, <laughs> L-E-M-P, LIMP stack, which is Nginx on yeah, Ubuntu. You go for that. How to install WordPress on Ubuntu. What's new in Ubuntu in 16.04? How to, how to use Nginx and Let's Encrypt together. An introduction to configuration management. You can go from zero to, like, Linux admin hero. Or, you know what? It's not just Linux. It's also FreeBSD, too. I know. That's one of their their more trickier things. They also have extremely good documentation on FreeBSD. But all the different distros. I mean, everything they support. It's a really great, great service. And you can use our promo code DOUnplugged to get a $10 credit. Try out their $5 rig. Two months for free at DigitalOcean.com. Big thanks, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Okay, Wes. I've talked about Subsonic before. In fact, Subsonic, when people would come to me and they'd say, hey, Chris, what, uh, what, what are you doing for media streaming? Uh, hey, Chris. Uh, what How do you, do you listen to those sweet tunes? Yeah, exactly. Uh, or what are you doing for podcast management? Oh. And this was a big one. And man, did I love it, dude. I would have Subsonic centrally download my podcast and then I would listen to them. And oh, man, Subsonic was a great way to essentially set up like Plex for your uh, audio. And I had it installed, loved it, used the web UI, used all the different apps built off of it. Well, we have a little breaking news right here on the Unplugged program. Subsonic is going closed source. Starting with 6.0, Subsonic will no longer be open source. The main reason, according to one of the developers, is that the source code now contains software license codes that they purchased. Literally what they said. Software license codes that I have purchased that shouldn't be used by Fork Projects. Now, Subsonic West is one of these projects that has sort of been slowly moving towards this position for a while. Mm. It's one of these things that if you've, been, if you've been following the project, you kind of suspected this is coming. And it does happen from time to time in open source. And you kind of – a couple of first reactions come to me like, well, who the hell are you? How dare you? <laughs> Right? Of course, they're the developers and creators. They get to do whatever they like. Yeah, that's exactly who the hell they are. And then my other reaction is, well, screw you. I'll go find something <laughs> yeah. else, right? Forking Subsonic, bye. Yeah. Uh, anybody in the mumble room a Subsonic user before I move on from that? Because I think that's kind of a big deal for if you've been dependent on this open source project. It's been around for years and years. All of a sudden, closed source. Yeah, it sucks, but like I do understand like with the complexities, especially like the li- like licensing open source uh, and keeping things free and open source is more difficult now than it's ever been. Keeping straight all the licenses of the stuff that you actually use to assemble your your product. Anyway, Subsonic looked heavy-handed to me anyway, but it still sucks. It was efficacious. Yeah. Now, Wimpy, you're a Subsonics user and donator. Tell me about Subsonics. 
Well, th- there are several tools like this, but subs- I've had good success with Subsonic over the years. And once you start building up your library, I've got um, not a DigitalOcean droplet, but a VPS somewhere that runs my Subsonic stuff. And it acts as off-site backup for our music. And it's my on-the-internet streaming service. So Subsonics is, uh, is it a fork of Subsonic? No, sorry. Subsonic is what I'm using at the oh. moment. Oh, okay. And yeah, and so, I understand there are forks of Subsonic, yes. but I haven't used it. And I got yet. a couple that I'll, I'll talk about. So you, you are using the project that has now gone closed source in the new version? Uh, no, I haven't upgraded to the new version. And how do you feel about this? I mean, this is something – the only reason I ask you is because, you know, as longtime Linux users, yeah, from time to time this happens. Right. Do you just roll with the punches when something like this happens or are, are you outraged and ready to take to the streets with pitch, pitchforks and uh, fire? I'm not outraged. I'm a little bit disappointed because mm-hmm. I right. thought the reason that I was donating to this project was in order to keep it open source. And now I've ended up funding a proprietary project, so I'm not – super enthusiastic about Whoops. that this is and my I, complaint right here you just I, you, yeah i will be looking elsewhere in due course what about if it just remains free skooky is that all it really takes is it, as long as it stays free then then you're good i'm talking free as in freedom not free as in beer i have no problem paying for any anything like you know a service you know or, or like a, a a podcast like you know like a, a like unfilter or whatever uh or npr or uh, any sort of software solution that's, you know, uh, efficacious. I have no problem paying for it uh, so long as it's free. I mean, it has to be, you know, free is in freedom, not free is in beer. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, like Wimby just touched on, there are several alternatives. Now, Subsonic kind of – it gives you a centralized um, on your land Spotify using your own library, if you right. will. Uh, it also it works with multiple media formats. It could also do some transcoding. It is in a lot of ways a lot like Plex too. It could go out and get metadata mm-hmm. information, centralized playlists. So, in that sort of same vein, Madsonic is one that I've heard a lot. Uh, Madsonic is a web-based media streamer. Uh, it's a fork of uh, Subsonic. It is based on some Java. It runs <laughs> on Linux. And uh, one of the nice things I like, if you have constrained bandwidth, you can set upper limits on the music and it can re-encode some of the music for you if you want to stream, which is kind of nice. That is very nice, especially on, you know, you're on the bus or whatever. Uh, And uh, it's supposed to be easy to use. If you have, you know, 100,000 files in your music library, you're not going to have any problems. It's GPL'd. And so that's – this is uh, madsonic.org. You can find it at beta.madsonic.org. But you know, Wes, I'm going to tell you about the one that kind of caught my attention, the one that I kind of liked – was cherry music? Ooh, yeah. You, it's same thing. It's pretty cherry. GPL, uh, easy to set up. Get it go. Blazingly fast search. Yep, <laughs> they've got apps that work with it. It automatically go get the cover art. Super quick setup, which I think is really nice. I might stand this up pretty soon. Here. Yeah, that looks awesome. Yeah, it does. Here, I'll show you a few screenshots. Uh, so this is Cherry Music, uh, kind of the same deal. It, it, for those of you that are familiar with Subsonic, the functionality will look familiar. Oh, the screen. Oh, there it goes. Uh, but the uh, UI is a little nicer. Yep. So this is a really easy way to have like a, if you want to have a bunch of your audio music on a central um, file server, but then have everyone have the same playlist throughout the house. This was always a problem that Angela and I had is we had the same music library a lot of the time where she'd have like 
well, actually for a long time, she had her own library. I had my own library. We right. had our own playlists and all this. And then we wanted to like, well, we're going to have people over. Let's have a playlist that plays in the living room. Okay, well, whose computer did you know? And it was just like, now or you're do you want to bring it between up? them? And yeah. Switching. And so then all the energy and effort goes into one spot. And that's why we set up Subsonic. And uh, we're, we were able to have like party mix playlists and like Christmas playlists. And, and she could go set it up on the thing. And then I would just play it. And that's that was awesome. a, it was a very nice setup. Plus, you're taking advantage of the centralized network storage at that point, And you just throw this on top of it. So Cherry Music, uh, which I like a lot. The URL is a little weird, so I'll just you have to go find the link in the show notes. But I like that one. Um, Amachi, Apanchi, Inagogo says it's uh, Ampachi, Ampachi, org, A M P A C H E dot org. Uh, and also, it looks like uh, Rikai is recommending uh, Sorenza, which is another one. There, boy, there's a few of these. Cherry Music's the one I picked, but it looks like if you're uh, if you're in the chat room, you could totally score some links for a couple other uh, alternatives as well. I'm going through all of them right now. There's a whole bunch in here. Um, I like that one. You know, I should also mention, <laughs> like uh, Grandel is mentioning in the chat room, Plex is aggressively going after this category too. Plex is aggressively going after music. So uh, this is another. I was about to say, yeah. This is this is bad timing on Subsonic's part because Plex is attempting to go this way too. And so many people have Plex at their house already. Well, Sorensen looks nice. This looks really nice, Rikai. Good find. That does look like a good one. And uh, uh, Amp Ampigy. Amp Achi or whatever. It looks really good, too. Ooh, with visualizers, Wes. Look at that. Hey, hey. Hey, what's up? What's up? You get those visualizers. Yeah. So uh, I guess I wanted to end uh, just a quick just a quick note on uh, – I don't know about you. You know what? I'll ask Wimpy because Wimpy's actually donated money. So let's ask Wimpy. Yeah. Wimpy, did you have a sense this was coming? Because I'll be honest. I had a sense this was coming watching the Subsonic Project – I just I had a feeling they were going this direction. Yep. Did you have that same feeling even even as a donator? Yep. yep. What what was I, it? What was it that sort of set off your spider sense, if you will? Um, it's the fact that when you install it, you have to put a license in to use it fully. You know, it's it's, it's sort of very heavily in, it influences you to you know donate in order to get a key. You know, to um, to use the product completely and it nags you and it felt like it was going this route and some of the wording on the website um sounded a bit plaintive you know um about you know not getting the appropriate donations for the number of people using it and i just sort of got a sense that it was on its way so yeah i'm not surprised Mm -hmm. and i i also am a, a plex subscriber as well but in my opinion, Plex isn't really there for music playback no. just yet. It's improved significantly in the last year or so, but it is not a good music manager and mm-hmm. playlist organizer and player at all. I agree. Yeah, that's essentially my assessment of it too. So before we move, uh, I did want to mention just really briefly the, the power management strategies. Uh, is it still a thing in 2016 to uh, go through a bunch of hoops – to set up the perfect power management. Um, and I, I ask you as someone who has sort of taken a backseat to this recently, I, I don't bother doing things like installing and configuring TLP. I don't really consider uh, watching power top to see what's eating up all of my battery. I just assume that in 20 frickin' 16, I can install a modern operating system and not have to worry about power management. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong, and I'll start Wimpy with you. You sounds like you still think TLP is worth loading on if you have a laptop, correct? Yep, uh, it's installed by default in Ubuntu Mate. Has been for several releases now. 
Now, what do you notice the difference? I mean, you must be a huge difference to make it default. Uh, personally, I've noticed a significant difference in the power savings that combined with, you know, managing your screen brightness appropriately, because yes. that can make a big difference. Yeah. But um, uh, there was um, another podcaster recently installed Ubuntu Mate on their main laptop. I won't say what distribution they replaced, but they were quoting a two-hour uh, battery life improvement as a result of installing Ubuntu Mate. And, and the only significant difference there is that it comes pre-installed with TLP. Mm. And on some of my older computers, I, I can definitely measure the improvement in hours rather than minutes. Hmm. Skooky, you said uh, yes, definitely. If you're using Arch, what do you, why, why do you say that? Oh, well, okay. So about three years ago, and I don't know if you remember this, but I got a uh, Galago Ultra Pro from System76. Mm-hmm. And I slapped Integros. I, 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 I still run Arch on that. Um, it's great. It's awesome. But in order to get anything other than like literally basic, basic fun, I mean, we're talking like I would get like an hour and 15 minutes out of the battery until you had to, you had to go Yikes. through the whole, the whole arch, um, horrific, uh, documentation, you know, that, that whole hour and a half long wall of text to configure everything appropriately. But, it, and now, you know, like I get, you know, four, four and a half hours. It's an older laptop, but it's still awesome. Okay. Popey, I'm turning to you because I'm hoping you're going to tell me I do nothing. I install Ubuntu and I use it like a regular user and I get great battery life. Is that true or does Popey jump through hoops to get good battery life? So I recently had to reinstall on my new laptop and I just installed it and I didn't do anything at all. However, I have somewhat worked around the issue because my laptop has two batteries, one internal and one external, and I bought a second battery. So in the event that my power dies, I can just swap out the battery while I'm running and not have a problem. So I've kind of worked around the problem. So you're kind of like, I am I am sort of like that because with the Bonobo, the battery life was going to be two and a half hours, three hours regardless after a couple of years, right? It's yeah. a big desktop yep. killer with a small – and I just got – I just became Honey Badger about the battery. Uh, but here I am with the Apollo now. It was Skylake and I'm getting almost six hours without a lot of effort. Nice. And I'm starting to think – all right, well, maybe if I dial this in a little bit. I was in the middle of an awesome uh, Minecraft mod exploration with the kids last night, and then my battery died. And, I, I'm, and my dad, or I, my, my son was like, Dad, why didn't you bring your power cord? I'm like, well, I... Normally, I don't need it. I didn't plan on running Java, son. I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you ever just uh, run PowerTop and change all the configurables? Yeah, so I, and this, see, that is the other thing is I have in the past. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is CNN Breaking News. Wimpy, you're telling me seven hours and 30 minutes on your Apollo? Yes, comfortably. And, and so, okay. All right, there you go. I got to do it. I, I, if I could get another hour and a half out of my machine. Yeah. Holy smokes. I will say I also was using that Apricity OS, which based on Arch for a while, they have TLP installed by default. And that also, oh. I've noticed, is what run for quite a long time on my laptop. <sighs> All right. I'm going to put... See, uh, so you're looking at the Arch wiki. You pretty much just install it yeah, and start yeah. it. And I'm going to do it. So I'm going to have it. no excuse. I will give it a go. I'm going to put the link in the show notes if you guys are curious about that. I will uh, toss it in there. Uh, so it sounds like TLP in 2016 still worth doing. Not that I didn't think it was. I'm just a little disappointed. Is that weird? I just wish that stuff. I just 
I guess I look at uh, I look at like those the, the freaking MacBook with the single USB port that supposedly gets twelve years of battery life, right. yep. uh, and you breathe on it and it gets another two hours of battery life just by like breathing on it. I look at that and I go, man, I wish we had something kind of similar to that under mm-hmm. Linux. Then I get, but then with the Apollo, I get so damn close. Just seems like it might be worth a little bit, and the TLP setup requires no config. All right, well there you go. Yeah, so there you go. That seems like the way to go. I'll have to report back next week. See, uh, see how long you can go. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I was also considering for a little while doing battery life tests, more, more like more rigorous. Yeah. Right, yeah, but to me, it, it's, it's a lot of work. It, it also, it seems like it's so dependent on your workload. Like your screen brightness is a huge part of it. So it, it feels like a little bit of black magic. Yeah. Like people can talk big, but you have to put in a fair bit to like get a workload that you can use as an example consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'd be, and uh, you know what? Uh, if those of you out there in the audience have uh, experimented a little bit with TLP and uh, your different experience, I, I would just be, I would like to know. I would like to know what you have seen out there. So uh, links to everything we've talked about so far, including Cherry Music, Mag- Mad Sonic, TLP, and all that stuff over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Just go look for episode 143 of the Unplugged Program. We are about to talk a little bit about Linux containers. Yes, Linux containers, everybody. Hello, everybody. And uh, how they can be relevant to you and I. Wes, you are a soldier, sir. You have experimented and gone off <laughs> and upgraded a bunch of your servers to Ubuntu 16.04. That's you've, right. You've begun experimenting with uh, Linux containers. So before we get to all of that, I want to mention Linux Academy. If, if I say the word container and you go... I don't actually know what that means. If that thought has crossed the back of your head, maybe you should check out Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to take advantage of the unplugged discount and support this show. Linux Academy, here's what you need to know. This is the essentials created by people that love Linux and want to spread the word. They wanted a platform, so they went and found a great group of developers and enthusiasts. They came together. They created the Linux Academy. They now have 2,379 self-paced courses, comprehensive study guides you get to download. You can be like a Skooky Sprite there and uh, listen in the shower, download them. I love that story. And, you know, Seth might have been the first person to tell me that he listens in the shower, but he was certainly not the last person to tell me that, uh, which I think is kind of funny. They have uh, scenario-based labs, which will put you right in the middle of everyday common tasks. They have nuggets that will go deep, into one single topic, you know, might last about two minutes, might be an hour, depends on the topic. They have live events. They have instructor mentoring, which is huge. They'll teach you how to use all of the technology around Linux, the essentials, the advanced topics, and the stuff that will make you money on Linux, the stuff you can use to improve your career, the stuff you can use to charge clients, right? the stuff you can use to better your knowledge set, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Graded server exercises will give you real results. It's nice. Seven plus distros to choose from. They're always updating the content. You know, I I talked about uh, containers kind of jokingly, but seriously, like they, I don't, I I, I can't, I can't, I can't envision a better resource to learn more about containers. Like they, they are passionate about this stuff. They were, they were writing up courseware on Docker while other people were joking about it. Like they understand where things are going because they are so enthusiastic about this and they have a great, great set of courseware on containers. Now we're about to get into containers and if anything we talk about intrigues you, go check them out at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. All right, Mr. West. So you said to me. Okay, Chris, I know we've talked about Ubuntu 16.04 a lot, but let's be real. We've mostly focused on the desktop where we've trashed on it a little bit. Plus, the, I mean, does anyone even use Linux on the desktop? I don't know. <laughs> no, I can't, obviously. Oh, my obviously. gosh. Oh, my uh, gosh. 
But, you know, there's a whole other element of uh, the, the Ubuntu server. server. The server, where it's actually uh, hugely successful. Yeah. Like so in, have in you used way. it at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Andre, uh, wait, do I have any local 1604 servers? No. No, I don't. I only have, have DigitalOcean droplets. Yeah. But we've got a handful of them now. Uh, and I don't really have anything to say. Um, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. The yeah, server, they just right? they just freaking run. Uh, we've set up a software on them. We have some fourteen oh four droplets. We want to move to sixteen oh four because we. I'll tell you one. Actually, okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you one thing that I have noticed. Okay. It is a pain in the ass now to like. <laughs> it is a major pain in the ass to write init scripts for Upstart. And it's like the last thing I want to do, or it's the last thing anybody on the JB crew wants to do is learn Upstart at this point. The, oh, my gosh. Yes. Who wants to learn no. Upstart? It's going it's dead. It, yeah, exactly. And here's the other thing is that tons of the projects I've been using for a while now have system init scripts. Yep. They come. They're right there. Yes. 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 So uh, that is sort of the nicest thing about 1604 is now I'm just like looking. I can use those examples and things. But that's pretty much the, the entire summary of my review from the server is it works. I don't really have any complaints, and it does everything I expect, which, by the way, exactly what I want on my server. Right. It just it just is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's consistent. So you, however, you, however, have had a bit of a bigger route I'm change. in the weird position of like, I mean, I use Arch for a lot of things. It's the most, what I'm most familiar these days with. I know how to, you know, bend it to my will, get whatever I done, need to do done with it. I'm in the weird position where I'm considering switching to Ubuntu for, for a lot of my larger server <laughs> uses. Uh Mostly because of LexD, as they call it, which is LexD 2.0 is just released, and it's their container uh, lighter visor, they jokingly call it. <laughs> uh, and, it's, and it's meant to be a new way to interact with the uh, Linux container or Lexi subsystem uh, and the infrastructure they've set up. So if you're not familiar, um, you can go to linuxcontainers.com, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, linux, look, dot org, linuxcontainers.org. Dot org, yeah. Uh, backslash LXD, backslash try. Try it, which uh, we will have a link in the show And notes. you can give it a try right now. Uh, and it's a. Now, hold on. When you say give it a try, you mean I can go to a web page and I, I can spin up a LXD container in real time? Yeah, let's, let's do try it. it. Let's do it right now. Are you ready? You want to do it? Okay, here we go. So I am at linuxcontainers.org slash LXD slash try dash it. Again, link in the show notes. Yeah, where's the IPv6 connectivity, Chris? Oh, at the studio. Come I know, on. right? So I'm going to say I've accepted the terms of service because, of course, I do. They're pretty reasonable. Now, they are going to start the container on the fly. Now, because we just gave out the URL, it's going to get slow here. But before it gets slow, you can see right here, Wes, right here, boom, I got a console. I got an LXD container. I'm now root inside a container nested inside an LXD install, which is sort of like LXD inception. Yes, right. What am I seeing here, Wes? What, uh, am, I, what am I seeing? You're seeing they ran LXC exec container name bash, and it just gets you executed as root inside the container a bash shell. This is pretty cool. Uh, this is a pretty cool way to do it. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So they, they one of the neat things that they've – LXE was pretty complicated to use. It's, it's really neat to use if you've ever tried it, if you need like you know, <laughs> system-level containers. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of things to learn and a lot of like r- configuration things to, to set up. Sure. LXD or LexD, it, it's a lot simpler. And so you can kind of just get an image going and they have default profiles set up. So the default one, it runs a, as an unprivileged container, meaning that it actually runs – uh, in a user namespace, so that root in the container is no longer root on your oh, host. It's cool. actually matched nice. to like UID one million or something like that. Uh, so, so it, and hopefully to get you some added security. Uh, but it, but it also has like default pro- profiles. If you want to run Docker in there, you just change your container to be on the Docker profile, and they tweak some of the security settings and the like nesting settings so that you can run Docker inside your container. Huh. So you're just starting to play with this, but how's the workflow bit? Is it pretty easy to it's use? It's neat. So. 
LXC used kind of a template workflow, so you'd use something like Packstrap or Debootstrap or whatever to like get your container implemented on the machine you're running it on. Uh, LexD uses an image-based format, so you actually just have like a tar GZ of your container root file system. Huh. Uh, and it also takes great advantage of ZFS. It's awesome. So like, you know, on 1604, you just install the userland tools. The kernel module is built for you. You just load that up. Uh, it has a do sudo uh, LXD in it, and it'll walk you through it. It'll even set you up like a loopback mounted nice. ZFS wow. file system if you want, right? So that's what I'm using on the laptop here. Or if you want to have, you know, you have an actual like pool of disk to use, you can use that or use one that you already have. And so what that means is when you want to use like a new they give you some image servers by default with the, like, you know, Ubuntu 16.04 container image. You can just pull that down. But once you have that image, every new container you start, it's just a, it's just a copy on write copy of that, right? So you, you, it's basically free except That's for what you change slick. it. And all, again, super easy to set up. And I've already set up, like, an Arch for it. So they don't have, they have, like, Alpine, they have so wait, Fedora. So you're, so you're saying, you're saying you have, okay, so, for example, if I were to do this on a, on a droplet, I could have an Ubuntu 16.04 droplet, but in the container, run Arch. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so they don't have one provided on there. They have like an image, images.linuxcontainers.org, where they have like Fedora, Cora, like lots of pre-built stuff for you, but Arch wasn't one of them. But you just take a, you know, you make a reasonable Arch file system, you package it up in a tar, and it's really easy to get it as your own. Huh. And then you can, they, the other neat thing is it's a networked, like, it's all done over a REST API. That's like, that's how the client talks to it. That's how you can talk to it. They have Python bindings. And it also talks over the network. So I can have a server here and then a server on a droplet somewhere. And I can go make myself a new image, have containers here. And if I make a container I really like here, I can just push it over to the server and it will run there. That is nice. You can even snapshot it here, then push the snapshot up to this. It's, it's, yeah. I'm really excited. I might have to change a lot of my infrastructure to use this now. That is super, super neat. Uh, and uh, sounds like it didn't take a ton of time to figure I out how to get down. I'm consistently surprised with how easy it is. Huh. I got to play with that. Cool. Uh, okay. So the chat room has been talking about a topic, Wes, that uh, I want to cover before I get to my Laura Croft review uh, because there has been something we have done a few times on the show is we've given Mr. Leo Laporte a hard time. It's for people who like to mess with computers. About his Linux coverage. And so I feel like it's only fair when, when Leo sits down and does his homework and does a pretty good job of it at that, that we give it some attention. So I want to just play a moment from the recent The New Screensavers on some help he gave on Linux. On the line. Let's do it. On the line with us right now, I don't know your name, sir. <laughs> it's, who is this? Jason. Jason is on the line. Hi, Jason. Where are you calling from? Hi, Leo. Calling from uh, Manhattan, Kansas. Nice to talk to you. There he is. Hey. So, Jason, tell us, uh, tell us your question. Well, I've been a long-time Linux u- Sorry, Linux user. I grew up uh, calling it Linux. I know. I, I know. A lot Linux. of people did. Yeah. Um, but I've got a handful of older computers, uh, netbooks. Uh, we're talking Core 2 duos, nothing really older than that. I've tried some of the slimmed-down versions of Linux, either uh, Lubuntu or LXDE, mm-hmm. uh, even Puppy Linux. Now, Puppy's a little too techy. Uh, I'd like something that I, a slimmed-down version that will run well, it, looking to run uh, Flash, uh, oh. DVDs. Flash? Flash, I know. Oh. I'm still trying to run YouTube. Well, um, you don't uh, need YouTube. Doesn't need Flash anymore. So you. Oh, can, that's true. You're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that. We, it, by the way, who needs Flash? 
Twit.tv still runs because <laughs> we use a player. We don't have control of it that plays back Ustream and BitGravity, and they're using Flash. Although they're moving away from it, as our providers do, I'm hoping we won't see Flash much longer. It's dying, as 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 everybody knows. As um, it should. So but I'm looking. I'm looking for a suggestions for something else that's uh, maybe maybe not something else, but a different spin of uh, Linux that works well with older hardware, yeah. but not too techy. Something that I can put on it and basically hand to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's the kicker. Unfortunately, this is almost a contradiction in terms, right? And I think this is kind of non-intuitive, but I've always said that the more a person is a novice, the better the computer they need, not the vice versa. Because so he's vice been, versa. He's been talking about Linux a lot. He goes into a whole description here about cinnamon. Like he does like a whole <laughs> Professor like Professor Leo. Yeah, he gets all We use this kind of generic term Linux for Oh, the chocolate Something that's really nice, so though. much more. The only thing that's Linux is the stuff way down here. This is the kernel. <laughs> and that's the stuff that Linus Torvalds wrote back in 1994 or 92 when he was a graduate student in uh, Finland. He wrote the I feel like I'm so in school. He, what's nice about I know. And you know what's funny about this? <laughs> and I'll leave the link in the show notes if you guys want to watch the whole thing. What's funny about this is... Uh, it tells me two things about Linux adoption. Number one, we are so screwed. And number two, it's great to have Leo as an advocate. Yeah, it is. The first thing it tells me is, and I'm not joking when I say this, uh, you need a frickin' whiteboard if you're a Windows <laughs> or Mac user to figure out, or I'm sorry, chalkboard in this case, how to use Linux. Like, uh, Leo talks about the fact that he has a dozen thumb drives with different Linux distros on there. He talks about trying Debian. He talks about trying Mint. He talks about trying Zubuntu and Unity. And he talks about trying Antergross. He has gone through a sludge of crap to get to where he's at now. It's too much. Right. You can't expect the average savvy Windows user to do what he's done. So anyways, it's an interesting – and I'm glad he's trying it. And it's a good advocate, but – Yeah, he actually seems to know what he's talking about. I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now maybe he could play, play with LXD and uh, LXD or LXC, not LXDE, and That's tell different. us what he thinks. Yeah. I'm really I'm I'm excited to buy that Wes. Uh, okay, so let's get to it. I've been teasing it all episode. Tomb Raider is finally here for Linux. The 2013 edition of Tomb Raider. And the value of this is negative. Is available for Linux, and I had a chance to give it a try, and uh, I gotta say, I'm not not too disappointed. If you're watching here, Wes, this was uh, something I played a little bit earlier on the live stream. This was me playing a little Tomb Raider. And uh, the graphics are pretty good. Now, you're, if you're watching this back on the video version, you're watching an encoding of an encoding. So, you know, the, the graphics are going to be what they are. Uh, Careful. But I'll tell you, this game is fun. First of all, it's very immersive. The only w the one downside I'll have is there's a lot of quick time events. Like this right here. Right. You run around, all of a sudden it just takes over, and maybe you, yeah, have you just watch. You have like a token key you have to press from time to time. Sam, Roth, can anyone hear me? But they do a good job of making Laura Croft feel like a real character. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you, Wes, I have a special connection. Ooh. Look, they're very painful. Yeah, they are violent with Laura in this game. It's very they get really rough with her. Laura, Laura, they are they are they are really rough with her. Like, 
ridiculously so. But you know, when I first played Tomb Raider, it was when I had a Matrox video card and Ooh, I upgraded Matrox. It. Yeah. I haven't heard that name for a while. I know, and I popped in four megabytes of VRAM. I had a grand total from two megabytes to four Woo. megabytes, and my four my two megabyte upgrade came with the Tomb Raider CD. Oh, very yeah, cool. Yeah, that was my first Tomb Raider experience. So I now remember to pl- the original Tomb Raider. Yeah. yeah. So even though it's a 2013 game, it's still very fun for me to be able to try it. And it supports Linux now. The graphics are great. Yeah, it looks beautiful. And it's, um, yeah. Sorry, the the actress who does the voice work for Lara Croft, Keely Hawes, uh, was recently on a uh, TV program talking about this, you know, and uh, the work that she had to do and how much work that she did in in this new Lara Croft thing. And she talked about the fact that her son loves to play the game, and uh, it's a bit weird for her yeah. to hear her own voice yeah. screaming out. Oh, that's at, weird. Uh, her son, yeah, but it's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is very cool to see these, like these, uh, these great games coming to Linux. And yeah, it's it's maybe not the best game ever, but uh, I've really enjoyed playing it. So if you if you're looking to buy a Steam, game, how are the system requirements, Chris? Well, you got to have. That's actually one of the nice things I like about it is you got to have. You do have, while you do have to have a decent system, Wes. Sure. They have a built-in benchmark. Oh, nice. So here, I'll launch it right now, so you can you can get a sense of if it's, if it's going to work on and your. I know rig. how nice of a machine you have now. Oh, uh, so and I don't I don't know, Mister Skooky Sprite. Have you had a try? Have you had a chance to try out the new Tomb Raider? You know, doing your best Linux games podcast, you got to be trying these things, right? Are you kidding? I beat it uh, in the first <laughs> yeah. in the first in the first fourteen hours of it coming out for Linux. Uh, it like launched on Steam at like eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, and I, I was just going to bed, and I'm like, oh, Tomb Raider. Oh, okay, well, I better probably play this. And then I played it in one ten-hour sitting. Oh, and then boy. I had meetings that morning, and uh, three hours later, I finished it off uh, ten hours later. I think it's awesome. It's one of the best adventure games I've ever played. Um, and it's easily the best-looking game I've ever played on Linux. So I'm running the benchmark right now, which you say benchmark's not so accurate, is it? Oh, God, no. It's com- it, it, Like, on mine, it says, like, the average is, like, the average frame rate is like 222 frames per second or something like that. It's just out of control. It's like it's it's old and weird. So what I think it is is I actually think that uh, I don't I get like 80 or something. I can't remember. I'm, I'm benchmarking it right now. I'll tell you in a second. But I think the game still has some glitches under Linux. There's a there's a few performance glitches here and there. I'll get one benchmark for the frame rate, and then I end up with uh, a completely different thing during gameplay. But as you watch well, this benchmark, you can see they add cool effects and stuff. It's pretty nice. Yeah, Go ahead, Scooby. Um, one of the things that that's weird because like uh, the second I beat it, I started playing it again because that's how much I enjoyed it um, on hard. And this time, I had I had some problems with janky camera angles in the my first twenty hours of the game. And it seems like either they push an update to it or something. But I have not had any camera problems. Um, and especially if you run it on normal instead of like high. Um, to like the settings, it makes a big difference in the performance. It cuts down on the reflections, I think. Yeah, I agree. The benchmark is a little crazy. So I just got on the benchmark. I got eighty point six minimum as my minimum frames per second. Nice. And I got max of one hundred and seventy point three with an average. Yeah, that's yeah. not happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. That's totally crazy. That's so ridiculous. Uh, like during the menus. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like they, they do like this cool pano like panorama like view where they like load more and more stuff. So you'd think it'd be accurate, but it's got to be like some sort of best case scenario. Right. I don't know. Uh, a couple other just quick notes. Steam uh, Sync works. So I played it 
for a little bit on my computer upstairs, was able to resume right oh, where I left I love that. Yeah. Uh, also, Linux Gamecast and the Linux Gamer gave some great reviews of this game. I'll have links to those in the show notes. And Mr. Skooky Sprite, again, give people a plug where they can find your podcast because I assume you'll be talking about this. Oh, yeah. No, I, I already reviewed it uh, on my Saturday. At a boy. But, but- BestLinuxGames.com. BestLinuxGames.com. I will have a link to that as well in the show notes so that way you guys can follow the reviews of all of that. I'm excited to see a good game come out because this was like one of my first like – I built a PC and then I upgraded from two megabytes of VRAM to four megabytes and got Tomb Raider. So, yeah, right? That was was a big deal for me. I really thought that was huge. Uh, anyways, that'll, that'll pretty much wrap us up for this week's episode of the Unplugged program. If you want to give us some feedback, please do. Please do. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com is where you go or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Mumble Room, is there anything else that the uh, collective hive mind wants to cover before we wrap up on this week's episode? Going once. Going twice. I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Oh, and there you God. have it. There you RMS have it. RMS GNU slash K Windows. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged program. We do it over at jblive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to, to find out what is live in your local time zone. Like we said earlier, linuxactionshow.reddit.com is where you go. Now, that virtual log, that's powered by Mumble, Woo. open source software. Yes, it is. And you can find out more about it by doing bang Mumble in our IRC. Room, which is irc.geekshed.net. If you stream this on YouTube Live.tv, join us on jblive.tv next week. We'd love to see you there. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unplugged, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Tip from uh, Crack Editor Rekai. It looks like the Steam Controller is on sale right now. Have you ever given that another chance? You know, I should, huh? Especially with newer kernels. 40% off. It seems like it might be worth time to give it another chance. That's a good deal. That yeah, is right? a good deal. Uh, so, I, you know, when, when I shaved the stash on Sunday, I didn't think about how the children would react. Oh, right. That's a big deal. I remember when my dad shaved That's his beard as a, as a young child. Yes. It's it, like, who are you? It is actually a big deal, and I totally didn't think about that, because I remember when my dad had a beard and then went to no beard. Right? It's a big, yeah. It was a big deal. <laughs> and so I got... <laughs> <laughs> I went, so I shaved on Sunday afternoon, right? And then I saw the kids Monday. And I got to tell you, the reaction was not good. <laughs> no. Uh, Abby told me it was dumb. Oh, yeah. that's cold. You know, but you know what Dylan told me? Dad, my dream is to grow a beard and a mustache. How could you shave it? <laughs> that's what my son So how'd you explain? Did you tell funny. him? <laughs> And then, and Uncle then, Noah did too well. And then my youngest, my youngest said, "Daddy, did you do that for Noah?" And I said, That's "Yes, adorable. Bella, I did it for Noah." I oh. hate Noah now. He took the beard away. Yeah, Bella, <laughs> you, you know what Bella said? It's okay, Daddy. I still like your hair. <laughs> I love my kids, dude. <laughs> so perfect.
perfect. So it was like, yeah, okay, good, good. That makes me feel better. But all of them, Out of the mouth, they babe. unanimously agreed, I got to grow it back. I got to grow it back. Now, Or now, you could shave, go, go totally clean. Go all yeah. the way. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, I'm a geek because uh, I totally love this post. And this was such a – this was clickbait for Linux users. If I was a Linux fish, I would be cut – filleted and served on a alder pa- uh, wood platter right now Ooh. because uh, TechMint totally got me with 20 funny commands for Linux. Okay. All right. Let's fine. do it real yeah. fast. So first of all, did you know that there's something called – there's a package called SL. Do you know about SL? Oh, What's, yeah. You do? You Steam do know about locomotive. Oh, look at you. All right. So let's I'm going to do a packer search for SL I right now. I absolutely never install it, but I am familiar. So, oh boy, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know. Oh, of course, a whole bunch of open SSL stuff came up when I searched for that. That was a horrible idea. What was I thinking? Of course, this is a total absolute incomplete. <laughs> look at this list, dude. This list is 20 pages long. I just Okay, you know what I'm going to do just for sake of content? I'm going to just install SL and see what we get. Because uh, why not, right? Let's just find out. Well, I've got my container right here. All right. So, no, I'm installed on my machine. I'm going to run SL. Are you ready? So, first of all, I want to launch it in a terminal window. So, I'll hold it. Here we go. Let's go find out what SL is. SL. It's a steam locomotive. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? It actually is really cool. That is really cool. So, there is this, there is this post over at TechBint about the 20 awesome Linux commands. You know what? Hold on a second. Telnet. Do I have? I don't even know if I have Telnet installed. Telnet and then blinkinglights.nl. Let's let's see. I don't even. Ooh, classic. Oh, I do have Telnet installed. All right. So here we go. So uh, what do I do, Wes? Do you know? Do you know what I do after this point? Just watch. Just 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 watch. Just stand by and watch. Okay. I'm watching. I maximize. Maybe I don't need to maximize. Hmm. So this is supposed to be the 20th century. Oh yeah. Here we go. Yeah, it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars in the terminal. Oh yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was Star Wars in the terminal. <laughs> oh, what's this one? Command toilet. I don't think what? I've heard of that one before. No, are you number serious? nine? Hold on, hold Scroll on. Scroll your ass down there. <laughs> terminal. Okay, toilet. Install toilet. All right. I'm gonna. Do you think toilet's a package in art? So let's just let's find out. Pack- it's a package everywhere. It's, it's been around for years and years and years. How come I? Be- how come I don't know? about it this is what i'm asking myself how do you not know all of these i know this this list is not only is it horrible obvious clickbait yes but it is totally old command like some of them are like a message of the day like okay i I know about yes yeah (laughs) all right okay all right i'm installing toilet right now uh all right and i'm gonna run toilet (laughs) i've never had i've never had a toilet (laughs) command hold on i don't want to run it in quake i want to give toilet its own dedicated terminal so let me open up its own dedicated gnome terminal just for toilet okay all right here we go tab completing toilet are you ready wes I've never been more ready. I don't know. What happens when you run it? Install. You have to give it some text. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, fart. Oh, that. okay. So that's all it does? Is it just... Do toilet dash dash gay. Oh, uh... And then the piece of text. It's much nicer. <laughs> dash dash gay? And then do I, yes. do, do I do the text on the same command line or do I wait for... Yeah, the... do toilet dash dash gay space hello world or something. Okay, all right. Hello. Do, do, do I need to use quotes? No. Hello world. Okay. Oh, now that is great. Look at it. It's a rainbow. 
Aww. And if you do uh, toilet dash dash gay dash dash IRC, hello world, <laughs> then it, it gives you all the ANSI codes that you can paste into IRC. How you know, I, I think I have seen this before now that I, I see it. How did I not know about this? This is so wonderful. Thank you, Popey. You're I like, welcome. I like that Popey is our our official expert on the toilet command. <laughs> Thank you, Zara. Of course. There's a snap package in the store for toilet. Oh, <laughs> beautiful. Know.